First John chapter one, verses five through 10. It says, this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, the blood, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. That's what we're going to be looking at. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for um, this gift of your word that you have spoken. These are these are your words. You have spoken to us. And so as we read this and as we study it, Lord, I pray that you'll help me remember and everyone here remember that um, these are not uh, words that I'm just trying to make up, that I'm just grabbing onto and saying, hey, these are these are good ideas for you to follow. But God, these are the very words of you. And so you are speaking to us as we look at this. And so, God, I pray that you would help me this morning um, decrease and that you would increase, that you would help me say less of my opinion, less of what I think, um, and more of what you think, more of what is true. God, I pray that you would fill me with the Spirit, that, I, that as I speak this morning, that um, everything I say would be Spirit-filled. I pray for everyone here this morning, Father. I pray that you would fill their hearts with the Spirit right now. God, I pray that you would give them soft hearts to hear from you, that they would not be hard-hearted and push away some of these words that are, that are no doubt hard this morning. Um, John is being very direct with us this morning regarding our sin, and so I pray that we would listen. God, I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Um, I've, as I've said this before, um, I want to kind of reiterate to you the way John writes. If you're not familiar with the Bible, you're not familiar with Christianity, you're not familiar with the way things work, um, Paul is a very kind of linear writer, um, which means here's my idea which goes to this, here's my idea which goes to this, here's my idea which goes to this, and it just continually keeps moving. That's the way Paul writes. He wrote a lot of books of the, of, of the New Testament. John um, is really circular. His ideas are going somewhere, but they're continuing. The way I, I was trying to explain it this past week to, uh, I was talking to Cameron. Whenever I was in middle school, um, we used to get quarters and we we're at, um, at the gym, like all the way across. We used to get coins or quarters, really whatever. And we would just roll them from one side and we would hear them coming. We wouldn't know where they were and they'd finally like hit us. So like, there it is. We'd hit the wall and we'd, we'd throw it back. Um, and that's the way Paul writes. He's very much, I'm going to take you all the way across the whole idea. But ever been to the mall and you put those little quarters in and it just kind of keeps going around, going around, going around, going around and finally goes somewhere? Um, that's the difference between John and Paul. Paul is just shooting you somewhere and launching you into this very linear thought which keeps going. John writes like those things at the mall. Those little, I don't know what they're called. I tried to Google it this, month, this past week and I couldn't figure out what those things are called. Um, but uh, that's the way John writes. So as we're, as we're seeing... Um, he continually points us up to an idea he just wrote in verse 1, and then we're going to see something in verse 4, and then verse 4 is going to have something else that pulls us down to verse 7, then we're going to go down to verse 7, and he's going to shoot us back up to 4. He's just continually doing that, mixing, um, mixing theology with application, mixing theology with application. Paul's very much, here's all the theology, and now here's the application. John doesn't write that way. So as we, as we go through here, we're going to see doctrine application, doctrine application. It's just, it's very, it's very different, and, and so it, 
as we, if we know that as we go into it, it's going to be very easy for us to kind of, okay, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. I'm getting it. So I want you to know that. Um, and as we're going into this set of verses here, um, one of the main ideas that he's going to be addressing in 5 through 10, which you should have seen, is the doctrine of sin. The doctrine of sin. Um, or, or writing on what sin should look like, not should, but shouldn't look like, um, and what sin is in our lives as Christians. Um, now, when you talk about sin... Um, when I talk about sin, it makes me uncomfortable um, because uh, I'm very sinful. And so I like for you to like me. I, I like it when you like me. I don't like it when you dislike me. And so I know that if I stand up here and I kind of soften it out and I, and I make it, you know, not necessarily right in your face, but just kind of general and vague enough that you're going to get my idea, but you're still going to like me, I have that inclination to do that. I want to do that because I really like you to like me. Um, but... Uh, I think if I do that, I'm not a very good, I'm not a very good pastor. I'm not a very good preacher. Um, because that's not what God does with His Word. So today, we'll feel, um, a little confrontational, a little direct. Uh, and you might be, um, a little upset at me, which you should be. Um, because John is very direct with you. Um, so don't get upset at me. Um, John is gonna point, and listen, um, I'm not saying things to you that I haven't been dealing with this entire week about myself. I have been continually examining my heart and, and really seeing a lot of things this, this past week that I don't like either. So as we look at it, know that I, I've dealt with it and this is your first time, maybe fresh eyes, looking at it, but I've been dealing with it all week. Um, so I don't stand here making pronouncements to you about your sin that I haven't been thinking about the entire week myself. Um, whenever I got married, 13, almost 13 years ago, I was given this ring. Um, and I've been wearing it now for a long time. And so I've noticed that when I take it off and I, and I look at my two fingers, I don't, I don't know if y'all can see it. And for those of you that have been married a while, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. For those of you who wear rings, maybe you'll know. But um, if I take my ring off, you can, I can look at my hand and it still looks like I'm wearing a ring. I mean, it's just, I've had it on so long, there is an indention in my finger all the way around, and, which is not here. Um, which is a good thing. You know, that's a good thing. It's a reminder, even if, if it's not on. You know, Christy's my wife. I'm supposed to live for her, for her um, sanctification, uh, etc. But um, I've had this on my finger for so long that it's a constant reminder. And I've become comfortable with it. Like I used to not like anything. I don't even wear a watch. I don't like stuff on me. Um, but I, I, I wear this, um, and it, I've become so comfortable with it that I'm fine with it. But it's put an indention in my finger. Something permanent. Um, this morning, you could be in sin so deep that you're so comfortable with it that it's put an indention in you. And you're so comfortable with it that you're not even thinking about it anymore. My goal today is to address, to confront, and, and, and that you would lovingly want to come forward and say, yes, there are places in my life that I am just, I'm so deep into, I've become too comfortable. That it's just, it's there. And I don't even think about it anymore. Um, that's how comfortable we get with sin. Because our, our hearts um, are, are very, very prone and very moved towards the sinful things. Now as Christians, praise God we have the Holy Spirit and we don't have to be slaves to sin anymore. But... Paul's very clear that we will still have sin working itself without it, and it's Romans 7. Um, 
And as you become a Christian, I'm going to talk about this a little bit later on. As you become a Christian, you become more and more aware of sin. And what you do in that moment is very, very key. Um, so there's four things that I want to kind of talk about here in the very beginning. There's, there's four, uh, four transitions of truth. And, and usually I kind of walk through them the entire time. I'm going to give you all four of them in the very beginning. Then we're just going to look, I'm just going to talk after that. So these are, these are the four things. Sin in Christian's life. These are the four steps in transition of the way this text takes us. And I want to go ahead and shoot them all out there right now. If you're a writer, this is your chance to write. And then I want you to put your pen down. And I just want you to listen to me for the rest of the time. Um, I was going to say a time, but I don't even want to promise you anything. Um, here they are. First of all, we see this in verse 5. God is light. This is the message we have heard from Him proclaim to you that God is light. So God is light. And, um, and let me say something about these four, these four things. Um, each one builds on the next. Each one builds on the next. You can't go to number 3 without having known number 1 and 2. And so number 4 is really our conclusion. Therefore, and then we're going to have number 4. First thing is, God is light. God is is light. I'm going to unpack all this in a second. All right. The next thing is this. We Christians are in God. We are in God, which means this. We have fellowship with him and we walk in the light. That's verse six and seven. If you see in verse six, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. So God is light. We as Christians are in God, which means we're supposed to be in the light, walking in the light. That's what's supposed to be true of us. All right, here's the third one. Um, we, should be, we should be light and we should walk in the light. We should be light and we should walk in the light. The implications if, is if God is light and we are in God, then we should be light and we should walk in light. It's just, it's just very obvious, everything that we're going to see here. And here's, here's the fourth one. Um, Therefore, we should not sin. If we say we have fellowship with Him, I have fellowship with you, God. You and I are, are on board. I, I love Christ. He's my all in all. I believe the gospel. I have fellowship with God. If we say we have fellowship with Him, but we walk in darkness, we lie. And we don't practice the truth. Meaning, if we think we have fellowship with God, but we go out and sin all the time, we lie about having fellowship with God. We're not supposed to sin. God is light. So if we're sinning, if we're sinning, it's telling us that we don't have fellowship with God. Now, let me go ahead and, and give you a heads up because I know you're thinking, you just told me that I'm going to sin the rest of my life, bud. <laughs> um, you're contradicting yourself. I know that what you're thinking. And verses 8 through 10 is John's, um, John's way to bring you back. There's kind of this, 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 um, this crazy place that you can go on both sides. The verse is telling us um, that we're not supposed to sin. Uh, John Piper, was I, I, was, I was looking at how he out, outlines this verse, and he, this is what he says in his little outline. He's a little different, um, and his is probably better, but this is what I wrote before I read John Piper. Um, verse 5, he said, God is light, which he's saying, that's the foundation. And then he says, verses 6 and 7 is the application. Walk in light, and we're not supposed to sin. And then verses 8 through 10 is the clarification, which is meaning, all right, uh, don't claim to be without sin. So what he's saying is that there's an error that says your conduct after conversion has nothing to do with your salvation. And the error that says your conduct after conversion must be perfect. So there's, there's an idea that says you're supposed to be perfect afterwards, which you're not. Verses 8 through 10 addresses that. However, I don't want to 
like not look at verse six and say, well, since you're, you know, you're going to sin anyway, we'll just ignore verse six, which says you're supposed to walk in the light and have no sin at all. So as Christians, when we become Christians, we are going to sin. Um, and so there's this kind of razor's edge that we're supposed to walk on. And either way, we can fall, find ourselves in error. Um, verse six is telling us never sin, never, ever sin. So we're going to say, all right, I'm not going to sin. But verse nine, eight through 10, which we're going to get to next week, says you're still going to sin. And verse 9 tells us how we're supposed to do it. Confess and repent. Confess and repent. All right, so we're, we're going to use verse 9 as our application today, even though we don't get there. But here's the thing. God is light. We, are Christians, are supposed to walk in the light. Therefore, we are not supposed to sin. And that's really what I want to talk to you today about. Um, I know verse 8 through 10 is going to tell us, if you say you're without sin, you're a liar. I know that you and I... All of us have sin. We're going to address that next week. But I want to tackle the first half this week, which is I want you to, con- to consider your heart. I want you to think about where you are spiritually and maybe just how comfortable you are with sin. All right. Piper, uh, John Piper, he's a, he's a pastor uh, in Minnesota. He said this, um, There is a walk... There is a lifestyle that necessarily results from the miracle of the new birth when we are given eyes to see the surpassing worth of the light of God. That means when we become Christians, there is positively a manner in which we are to walk. We are absolutely supposed to look and walk a certain way as Christians. 1 John is written to describe that lifestyle and what it looks like and how it results from God's light Shining on us in the new birth. First John is explaining what that lifestyle as a Christian is supposed to look like. Which means this. When you become a Christian and you continually stay in sin, do you think honestly that God has just now somehow become blind to the fact that if you work at an office with ladies and you as a husband are married to one person but flirt with ladies all the time at the office, do you think that somehow God is blind to that now? Um, Do you think that when you become a Christian that God somehow becomes blind to your physical intimacy you have with a woman that's not your wife? If you're not yet married? Do you think that somehow God becomes blind to the way, if you're a husband, that you might mistreat your wife the way you might speak to her harshly? Like if you do that continually, that you think God's just somehow blind to that now? Maybe if you become a Christian, um, you know and you have children that you are absolutely supposed to teach them the things of Christ and lead your wife spiritually. Do you think God is somehow blind to the fact that you don't ever read the Bible with your wife or pray with her or teach your children about Christ ever? There's, there's a way that we're supposed to walk as Christians. And God is not blind to the things that are going on in our life. Um, he's not blind to the secret sin that maybe even your wife doesn't even know that you have um, and that you are just so comfortable with you're never going to confess. He's not blind to it. And He's absolutely intolerant of it. He's absolutely intolerant. We, as Fallen creatures love sin far too much. We don't understand that God has set these parameters around us not to take away joy, but to add to our joy. Um, what I mean is this. I have, a, uh, I have four children. I have a two-year-old. He's my only son. And, I mean, he's like having eight children. He's just so 
much work. Um, we have a, uh, we have a, it's called a no-climb fence. It's just kind of a, a plexiglass. He's not even, and it's extra tall, right? So we put it in his door, um, and we close it down, and he's, he, that's supposed to keep him in. I don't even know how, but somehow the no-climb fence is not a problem for him. He climbs over that, no big deal whatsoever. So we have a second gate that we have to put over that one, but we can't leave it too wide because he can still maneuver through there. We have to shove it down. We have to pull this one up extra high, pull this one down, but we still have to be able to get the doorknob. I mean, it's, it is a ton of work, but finally, once we get him in there, he can't get out. We've, we've, we've got him in the room, and, but he looks at this as just awful. These are just way too many restrictions for his, his life of play that he desires outside of his room when we put him to bed, but we need for him to stay in there. He doesn't understand that we love him, and we need for him to stay in there and sleep, or else he becomes an animal, you know, just crazy. Um, he doesn't see the value in obeying. He doesn't see the value in the parameters that we've set. And a lot of us are the exact same way re- regarding God's laws. We don't see the value in His laws. He's given us commandments. He's given us laws not to take away our joy, not to keep us away from having what we think is fun, but He's put it there in front of us to add to our joy in Him. The law is not burdensome. The commandments are not burdensome. They are to add to your joy in Christ. But we see them as too much work. We see as too much work maybe to read the Bible with our wife and pray with her. Too much work to teach our children about Jesus. Too much work to um, not lead on someone else that's not your wife. Or too much work to not have some kind of sexual intimacy with people that aren't our wife. That's too hard. That's too much work to keep myself Christ-honoring and really watch what I'm doing. But that's not what God's plan is. Verse 5 says this. This is the message that we have heard from Him. Alright. John has heard this message from God. This isn't my message. This, isn't, this is John's message, but this is John's message from God. This is God Himself talking to you. This is His message. That God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. God is light, in Him is... It's the same, the same thing. One's saying it positively. God is light. In Him is no darkness at all. It's just saying it negatively. But it's saying the same thing. And the point that He's trying to make is this. Um, what we know in John, uh, the Gospel... He says that Jesus is the light of the world. In John 3, he says this, and this is, the, this is the judgment, that light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. So when he's telling us God is light, he's putting God out here as, as light, saying, you and I have darkness in our hearts. God is light. He is going to shine down on our darkness and our sin. And He is going to expose all your sin. All of it. There was a story I just read this past week. Um, I think it was in Martin Lloyd-Jones' uh, commentary. that uh, Maybe it was Mar- James Montgomery Boyce. I can't remember. Um, this lady came up to John Wesley and said... Um, Please pray for me. I, I'm, I'm a horrible sinner. And he goes, you're right, you are, so I will pray for you. And she goes, why do you call me a horrible sinner? I've never done anything wrong. Um, <laughs> the idea is that we can confess in the very beginning we're sinful. As soon as someone says, yeah, you are, you're like, no, 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 wait, you're saying, you get all defensive. Um, don't be that way. Whenever he shines down this light into your heart, know that it's good. 
that He's shining out this light into your heart and showing your sin. It's not bad. Don't get upset at Him for it. Because when He does shine the light into your heart and you see the wretchedness of your sin, your first inclination, just like mine, is to run away from the light and stay in darkness and stay in sin and say, I like this sin. This is good. Here, it's really dark over here in the corner. This is where I get to stay and be wretched and horrible and get to do all these things I enjoy. But that's not what God wants. And that's not really what you want. You know just as well as I do that those things that you're doing are wrong. Or else you wouldn't defend them. It's the same thing I do. We wouldn't defend them if we knew that we thought they were right. This is God's message to you, not mine. I was kind of thinking about just how big a contrast it must be between us and God. Um, and I, I, I was thinking, if I were to go outside at noon and just stare at the sun and look for darkness, I'm, I'm going to stare right at the sun and just, is there any darkness there? I want, to, I want to find something that's dark. You would never be able to do it. And in that same way, if you were to stare at God and look for sin, you would never find it. Yet, it would be infinitely more proportional that God is not sinful than, than finding darkness in the sun. That's how holy, that's how without sin He is. And that's how sinful we are. It's a major contrast. It's not like God's just a little bit more holy than us, that He has just a little bit less sin. He just, you know, He has, he has better judgment. It's not that at all. It's that He is holy and that we don't walk in His laws. So, if that's the case, John Calvin was kind of commenting on this verse. He says, if God is light, he says, it follows then that he hates an evil conscience. He hates sin. He hates pollution. He hates wickedness. And everything that pertains to darkness. He hates it. Not good news for us. Outside of Jesus. Not good news for us at all. Um... And then we begin here at verse 6, um, these statements that John starts making. Verse 6, verse 8, verse 10 about sin and the doctrine of sin. They're different, there's no doubt. Verse 6 is telling us, don't sin. And verse 8 and 10 are going to tell us, you're going to sin, but don't claim that you're, that you're without sin. And these, these verses are, are, James Boyce was saying that these verses here, um, 6, 8, and 10, are directed towards the people that were called the Gnostics. The Gnostics kind of separated this. They, they believe Jesus wasn't flesh. So um, they believe that uh, if since we're flesh, that anything we do as sin is not really a big deal. God's okay with that because um, we can't help it. And so basically, the idea is the way you achieve salvation is just through knowledge. Um, just seeking out knowledge. And that's what really the word Gnostic means. These men, he says, claim to have um, entered into a higher fellowship with God. Even though they had sin rampant in their life, they were kind of two different ways. They either believed they had reached perfectionism or they could just be totally in the world sinful and either way was okay because, you know, flesh was something you can't help. Um, they believed that they had entered into a higher fellowship with God than was, than was known by most other Christians. The Gnostics believed that about themselves. Um, which sounds like people today, uh, they didn't necessarily have the same theology as the Gnostics, um, but they, they still have the same ethics. They still live morally the same way they do today. There are people today that if you've been in church your entire life, 
you think either you have no sin or God's fine with your sin. Maybe you don't think that. And if you don't, praise God that you're constantly aware. But I have found, especially in the South, where you've just been indoctrinated in the church culture your entire life, and you've kind of been in church your whole life. If you've not been in your church, you might not have any idea what I'm talking about. Um, But those that have been in church their whole life, they think that their sin is either non-existent and they're perfect, or it's just okay for me to be as sinful as I am because, yeah, Jesus forgives me. That's what the cross is all about. Um, And we're not supposed to live like that. Um, So if we say we have sin, it says this, if we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we don't practice the truth. So we know that we're supposed to have fellowship with God. And then in verse 7, it says, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So again... We talked about this last week in verses uh, 1 through 4, how he's emphasizing fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. And as he writes circular, he's going to bring it back to us here again. We're supposed to have fellowship with God. We're supposed to have fellowship with one another. We're supposed to be um, vertically in relation with God and horizontally in relationship with other man. And both of those things are continually supposed to be in place um, all the time. That was kind of hard to do. Um, So, verse 6 tells us, If we say we have fellowship with Him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If you say, yeah, 20 years I became a Christian. 20 years ago. Two years ago, I became a Christian. Um, Last month, I became a Christian. Whatever. If you say you have fellowship with Him. Now, No doubt, if you've been saved 20 years, you should have some different struggles and sin 20 years ago than what you have right now. Um, Let's say you got saved at 20, you became a Christian at 20, and now you're 30. Um, You probably, at the age 20 of not knowing Christ ahead of time, uh, before that, were probably involved in some pretty bad sin. But then you became a, a Christian at 20, and now you're 30 years old. Your sin at 20 and your sin at 30 should look a lot different, no doubt. But what he's saying is this. At age 30, at age 20, or whatever. If you say you have fellowship with Him while you walk in darkness. This idea of walking in darkness is really, really comfortable with the habitual sin in your life. Just think right now. Um, Don't play games right now, okay? Don't pretend or say, I'm really glad Fudge's saying this because I know someone here that needs to hear what he's saying. I I want you to take your mind off of everybody else in the room and just think about yourself. What sins or sin are you finding that you habitually have in your life? What sins? I don't know what it is, but there's no question in my mind that I and you find ourselves habitually doing certain sins over and over and over. And just the straightforward message of verse six is if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, while we find ourselves continually in habitual sin with no regard for trying to kill it whatsoever, there is not one thing on my radar screen where I'm trying to kill that sin. I know it. I don't look up verses that pertain to that sin and try to memorize it. I, I, I do it right towards my wife or I do it right towards my children or I, whatever. 
And every time I do it, I have made plans to do it again later on today or tomorrow. There is no doubt in your mind that you are absolutely on board with wanting to do that sin continually. If you say you have fellowship with God, don't think about other people right now. Think about yourself. If you say you have fellowship with God while you walk in darkness, you lie. You're a liar. The Bible is calling you a liar. You're a Christian. You're a liar. You say you have fellowship with him. You're lying. How can you be comfortable with that? Jesus is by no means comfortable with that sin that you're making plans to do later on today. He's not comfortable with your speech. He's not comfortable with your actions. I don't know what your sin is. You, you can't say, this is just who I am. This is just how I was raised. God just made me like this. I can't kill this sin. That's a lie. Maybe you don't read your Bible. Maybe you don't pray. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of levels of comfort on whatever sin you can be. I don't know what it is. It can be something like reading your Bible or it can be something that's just heinously wretched that you're cheating on your wife weekly. I don't know. You are not supposed to be comfortable with it at all. And if you are, the Bible, not me, is calling you a liar. I don't like to be called liars. One thing I constantly tell my children um, when we catch them in lies, one more so than the other, which he likes to lie. Um, the chambers are truth tellers. We constantly have to say that. As they get older, we're going to explain to them why. Because of Jesus and the gospel, and he's, he's made us like him, and so we have to be like him as we live. But right now, the chambers are truth tellers. And let's just shift it for you. If you're a believer in Jesus, you're a truth teller. And he's telling you, you are a liar if you're habitually walking in sin. Notice I keep saying habitually, because I know verse 8 through 10 is going to let us know. Romans 7 is going to let us know that sin will be working itself out in you. But you are not to find yourself comfortable. You're to be making war on it. War on your sin. Now, John wants us to understand what this means. To walk in the light. He's going he's to tell us in verse 7 some things that we need to know. We're supposed to be holy. Verse 7. But, if we walk in the light as He is in the light. Um, this is a, a constant walking. This is um, being used in the uh, continuous. There's a, there's a verb in the Greek. I don't want to get into the Greek, but there's a verb that is, is, is saying that something that, that's true or in the present, and there's also something that's in the present that's continually happening. And that's what this is talking about here. Is this, this is walking. This is a continuous action. It's not like we pray, Jesus come in my heart. Okay, I'm a Christian now. I can do whatever I want. This is saying that as we become a believer, we, we put our faith in Jesus. Now we're to be continually walking in the light. This is a continuous action as a Christian. So if that's true, you will not find yourself 
warning to walk in darkness. If, but if we walk in the light continually, if we walk in the light, we lie, I'm sorry, verse 7, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Um, first, let's talk about walking in the light. The New Testament commentary, when it's talking about walking in the light, and I'm saying this is continually, this is what it says. There should be within us a longing for the heavenly glory and the presence of God, and it must be accompanied by a fervent desire to have fellowship with the church of the earth. There is a desire for heaven, and there is a desire to be with, be with the people of God all the time, is what he's saying. This is what walking in the light is. Um, Calvin says... He walks in darkness who is not ruled by the fear of God and who does not with a pure conscience devote himself wholly to God and seek to promote His glory. So as Christians, we're constantly trying to to pursue and to promote God's glory. If you're walking in, in the darkness, you're not doing that. On the other hand, the one who is walking in the light, he who is in sincerity of heart spends his life in the fear and service of God and faithfully worships Jesus, walks in the light. That's what it's supposed to look like. We are to spend our life in the fear and service of God, faithfully worshiping Jesus with our life. That's what it means to walk in the light. And then it tells us this. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, which is an interesting little phrase. I wasn't expecting we have fellowship with one another. I was thinking, but if we walk in the light as He is in the light, then we're walking as Christians. He tells us we have fellowship with one another. It's curious that He says, walking in the light means you are now in fellowship with other believers. Rather than just saying, walking in the light means you don't have sin. That's where He's been directing us the entire time. But He takes this little weird turn and says, you're supposed to have fellowship with one another. And then look at this. This is even more curious. Verse 7. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Um, This is very interesting. The blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Um, Now, here's the deal. Um, He is talking about cleansing. Now, we know at, at faith, The moment we become saved, we're cleansed. We all believe that. Once You probably heard this. Whenever you become a Christian, God saves you from all the sin you've ever done, the sin you're doing right now, and all the sin you'll ever do. He cleanses you from all that sin that's ever happened. At faith, that moment you put your faith in Jesus. Right then. That's when you are cleansed. Now look what he says here. Because this says... We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. This is in the present form. This is speaking of Christians who have become Christians and then they're walking down throughout life and it's saying in the present form that we are being cleansed right now. This is very curious language that John is using um, because it's supposed to be that we, we have already been cleansed and now he's saying that we are being cleansed right now. So um, I wanted to try to understand what, what is he trying to tell us here. Um, he isn't telling us that, he's not telling us that the cleansing that we received at faith wasn't thorough or completely 
um, washing us all the way. He's telling us this. Um, what we need whenever we find ourselves walking down the path of life and we still have sin in our, in our life is cleansing, but not cleansing that's salvific, not cleansing that saves, but pointing us to what should be repentance, confession and repentance. Confession and repentance. And we know that from verse 9. Um, remember, John speaks in circles. John's speaking in circles. And he tells us here in verse 7, cleanses us from all sin. Verse 9 uses that same word cleanse. And it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is talking to believers. But we've already been cleansed. So what's the very beginning of verse 9 telling us? If we confess our sins... Confess our sins. So what he's telling us here is this. Repentance doesn't just happen at salvation. Repentance is something that is an ongoing lifetime lifestyle for Christians. Always, we are to be confessing and repenting. If you want peace with God, you are to cont- continually to be finding yourself confessing and repenting. It's not It's not earning salvation again. It's simply giving evidence to what has happened. And when you confess, he is, re- he is cleansing you as in saying, I have forgiven that sin. And we need that all the time. He's telling us, whatever sin you, you are thinking about right now, whatever sin it is, I said, don't think about other people's sin right now of gossip. Don't think about other people's sin of, of sexual immorality or whatever. You think about your sin right now. Your, your hard heart to your parents, your nasty um, thoughts towards your coworker because they just drive you crazy, or the, um, the show that you just can't let go of watching even though you know you shouldn't watch it anymore, the music that you have to keep listening to because that's what you've always listened to, but you know God's pushing in and saying, stop listening to stuff that doesn't glorify me. What are, I mean, I don't know. I, honestly, I don't know what your sin is. He's saying, as a Christian, confess that. Yes, you've been saved. Yes, you have been cleansed. But all of your life is to be an exercise of confession and repentance. You're never supposed to find yourself comfortable with the sin that you're in. You're never supposed to find yourself making excuses. Well, that's just the way God wired me. This is, a, this is the way I grew up. My, my parents were this way and I'm this way. I can't do anything about it. That's just a big load. That's not true. At all. If that's true then you're calling the Bible a liar when it says in Romans 6 that you're no longer slave to sin, but now a slave to righteousness. You are a slave to righteousness. Right living. Um, so there's really... Let me read this, this uh, quote, and then I want to give you two things that I want you to remember from this. Remission of sins. That's the forgiveness, that's the cleansing of sins. Remission of sins cannot be separated from repentance. You are to continually be living a life of repentance, even though you've been forgiven and cleansed from your sin. Remission from sin cannot be separated from repentance, nor can the peace of God be in those hearts where the fear of God does not prevail. You won't have peace of God in your heart unless the fear of God is prevailing, is winning the day. Meaning, you see sin, you hate sin, and you confess your sin. If you don't have that, you don't have the peace of God in your heart. 
So there's two things I want you to kind of take away from this verse here. Two things I want you to take away from this verse 7. Um, number one, and this is all in the design to create within you war on sin and a radical, a radical walking in holiness. A radical pursuit of holiness in your life. Number one, um, a radical pursuit of holiness will create an increase in fellowship with believers. We've seen it twice already in the first seven verses that Jesus is pointing you to fellowship with other people. Fellowship with other believers. We saw it in verse seven. We have fellowship with one another. And we also saw it um, in verse three when he says we have fellowship with us. So... Being a Christian is to increase your fellowship with believers, not decrease. Now, let me, let me clarify a couple confusing points, all right? Because if you've been at Remedy any time whatsoever, I have pushed over and over and over to you that you need to be with lost people. You need to be hanging out all the time with people who claim, I don't know Jesus and I don't want to know Jesus. And I'm, I'm trying to push you over there. Like, go hang out with lost people. How else are they going to get saved? And now I just told you, go be with believers. Jesus is telling you, if you want to be a Christian, be with believers. It's, it's imperative that you are community with believers. So you're like, Fudd, are you a schizophrenic? What's the deal? Um, it's both. It's absolutely both. Yes, there are texts, and I have taught you those you must be in the world. We're not supposed to be some kind of hermits that just that pull ourselves away from the world and say, good luck world with the sin that you have and I'm going to be back here. Um, we are to be in the world so that we can save some. 1 Corinthians 9. However, radical pursuit of holiness will create within you, if you are a Christian, a desire to be in community with other believers. That's what he's telling you. Um, which means, I mean, just, just an honest application. If you have half-hearted, and this is just to remed, remedians, whatever we call ourselves. Um, if you have half-hearted community group involvement, you are not radically pursuing holiness. The doctrine of sin is not landed on you in the way it should. God is telling you, if you want to walk in radical pursuit of holiness, you have to be in community with other people. Half-hearted attendance. This is how we've set it up at Remedy. You have to, we have Sunday morning community groups. We don't have other things. We don't have space. You have to be in community. The best way that you are going to kill sin in your life at Remedy is to be in community group, in accountability, confessing your sins to one another. If you are half-heartedly attending that, you are not, in the, in the context that Remini has set up, pursuing holiness the way that we have it here. Your half-hearted attendance is absolutely unacceptable. Radical pursuit of holiness, go, and whatever community you're involved in, sees the parameters that they have designed for you, to pursue holiness and, and launches into those things. And for us, it's community... And, and it's not like I'm just pulling that out and saying that's Remedy's deal. You can see it here in First John in the first seven verses twice already. God's design for you to be sanctified, for you to be holy, for you to be more Christ-like, is that you would be around other believers. You have to be. 
and be around unbelievers. We stress being around people um, who don't know Christ so that you um, are constantly putting the gospel on display in your community group as you are in accountability with one another and they see that and they see that's different and then they are invited in too. So you're in community with believers and you're in community with unbelievers. That's the most attractional that I know of the way to put the gospel on display. That's the first thing that these verses are pointing us towards. That I want you to remember that you, radical pursuit of holiness in this church means community group involvement. Fellowship with other believers. Or as he says in verse 3, fellowship with us. In verse 7, fellowship with one another. Don't count Sunday morning as you're stacking chairs after church fellowship with other Christians. That's not fellowship with other Christians. That's really not. The second thing is this. The second thing that these verses are pointing us towards. A radical pursuit of holiness will create an increase, an increase in your confession of sin. Now, if you've heard me talk for a while, I have said this repeatedly. The more and longer you've been a Christian, the more and more you'll see as you memorize Scripture that God is sanctifying you. That means He's making you more holy. It's just the way the Bible speaks. When you become a Christian, you begin the process of becoming sanctified, becoming more Christ-like. So you begin this process of sinning less and less and less and less and less, all by God's grace, but still your responsibility to pursue it. But God is He's clear in His Bible that we will be sanctified. He who began a good work will bring it to completion the day of Christ Jesus. Philippians 1.6 he who promised is faithful, 1 Thessalonians 5.22. These things will happen. And I just said, you will sin less and less and less. Also, you will confess sin more and more and more. Well, how's that working? If I'm supposed to sin less, but confess more, how's that work? Here's why. There's this this kind of opening up of awareness of sin as we become... Right now, when you first get saved, this is how much sin you see in your life. We're blind. We don't think we have a lot of sin in our life. We have infinite amounts, but what we see is this. And as we go through life, we see more of our sin, but the infinite amounts does start decreasing. It's just that our ability to see it increases. Which is good. It's good. It creates within me joy, worship. Because I, as I walk through life and I start seeing, I am wretchedly, horribly sinful. I start seeing that more. I start understanding the gospel. I start understanding the grace of God. And thankfulness stirs up. I can't believe the cost of Jesus on the cross for my sin. I've seen more and more of how awful I am and I become more and more aware of how beautifully glorious the cross is that He has forgiven that much sin. So, the second thing is, you, as a Christian, will pursue radical holiness in your life and you will confess your sin more and more. You'll confess your sin more and more. 
it's not just some kind of words. Um, I'm kind of talking about my son. There's one other thing he does. Um, he just gives me words. He, he, his two sisters, uh, six and four, four and six, whatever, um, have started chewing gum. And so he's two. Daddy, I want gub. I want gub. And I'm like, buddy, you can't chew gum. You're too young. I want gub. And so I'm like, fine. You can have it. Don't swallow it. Don't swallow it. It's not food. Don't swallow it. Okay. He, he's chewing it and I'm, I'm doing something. Daddy, I swallowed it. I mean, 30 seconds later, I swallowed it. Daddy, I swallowed it. Aiden, you're not supposed to swallow it. Okay. It, just, he's just giving me lip service. He's just, get, okay, I want what I want. I hear what you're saying. Okay. Lip service. As we go on in life, we are supposed to be confessing sin more and more and more. I am not saying that you are just going to be giving lip service to God. Oh God, I recognize this sin. Here it is. I confess it. Just wanted to let you know. I know you know because you're God and you know everything. But I'm supposed to say it with my mouth. So here it is again. Thanks to God for the uh, forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. That's not what I'm talking about when I say confession and repentance. Confession and repentance. I'm not just saying be a two-year-old with your confession where you just give some kind of lip service to God that, oh, I acknowledge what you're talking about. That's not what I'm talking about at all. I'm talking about a real heart engagement where you come before God who put forward His Son for you to not have to suffer the penalty of that sin you're about to confess and all of that has hit your heart. And you can't believe how gloriously beautiful the gospel is. And you confess that sin to him. Not with mere lip service and some kind of mental acknowledgement. But a heart that is painfully aware of the penalty that he paid for you on the cross. Real heart confession. Real acknowledgement of the depths of of the wretchedness of your sin. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about confession. So two things here. There's to be an increase in community and there's to be an increase in confession. How long have you been a Christian? Are these two things happening? Is there a decrease in community in your life? Were you doing well and now you're not? Were you walking and now you're not? In community? Were you confessing sin for a while but now there's not? These two things are supposed to happen more, more, more in your life. And I think if you're anything like me, you find it not there. It's not there. I'm supposed to be in community more. Now, for me, that's not mine. I'm in community all the time. I mean, I'm trying to plant a church. <laughs> so that's not mine. Maybe that's yours. If you're finding yourself as a Christian less and less and less in community, you need to confess that. You need to repent from that sin. If you don't, you're a liar. If you say you have fellowship with the way you walk in darkness, you're a liar. Don't make excuses. That's a, that's a sin that put Jesus on the cross that you need to confess and repent of. The second one was mine, though. 
I'm supposed, and maybe this is yours, maybe you're going to connect with me here. I'm supposed to, you're supposed to, we're supposed to find ourselves confessing sin more and more. Not less and less, because we're becoming more and more aware of our sin. But I notice that there'll be days throughout the week that'll go. I mean, days. I haven't confessed any sin at all. What in the world? God, make me aware. Bring more light to my mind of sin. Not because I want to somehow like be depressed, be sad, and just be this, this horrible person to be around. And you don't want to be around me. I'm always sad because I'm the sin. No, because when the sin comes, it puts my hope in the gospel of Jesus, which makes me more joyous. I want to confess sin more because I only trust and only hope in His work on the cross for me, to die for me, that I don't have to die that death He died. If you're not confessing, you're not returning to the gospel and preaching it to yourself every day, that you are righteous before God. And you need to repent. Or you're a liar. You need to know that I love you. I mean, honestly, it's not easy to stand up here and say things that, that make you not like me. It's not easy. I don't like it. I can't preach God's word any other way besides say the hard things to you and pray that the Holy Spirit comes into your heart and softens your heart. And that you will repent from your sin I promise you I promise you that this is the better life of confession and repentance than not living in sin I've lived in sin for so long where I wasn't confessing and repenting and it's just it's a dark dark place to be I, you just constantly feel the weight and you just constantly feel just horrible God is calling you to confession and repentance this morning. Don't be a liar. I'm going to pray. And then I'll give you some instruction of what this will look like as we move into our time of worship, our time of confession, our time of response. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for the Spirit. I just thank you for the Spirit. What a great gift who leads us into truth and shows us our sin and comforts us. God, if anybody here is like me, right now we don't need to feel more conviction. We have it. We need to feel the Holy Spirit coming and comforting us. Feeling the gospel applied to our life. Righteous. Blameless. Holy. These are the words you describe your church as. The acknowledgement of sin and confession of sin in our life is not to drive us away from you, but to bring us closer to you. Comfort. That's what we need now. So be with my friends this morning, Father. If anyone has a heart of stone, God, 
rip it out and put in a heart of flesh. Rip away any forms of pride and make them humble. Help them see that confession and repentance gives joy and not sorrow. Creates worship. We love you. We praise things in Jesus' name. Amen.